0: I gotta tell you, it, it was a fun game. I enjoyed myself, but once again, the Raptors have done a madness. They, they get to a point where it looks like they're gonna come back in the game, and that just does not happen. They are the point differential gods, as it were. They have a historic point differential when you consider their record and how bad it is. I think 25 and 35 at this point, and they have a positive almost a plus one point differential. Well, it might be lower. Well, it'll definitely be lower after this game, but they they come back for a bit. I think it was 103 to 110, and Siakam missed a three. And like, you know, people miss threes all the time. This not that Siakam is like the fulcrum that the game failed on or anything like that, but he missed a three, and then the Knicks close out 120 to 103. The Raptors lose by 17 in a game where they help too much from, Ed, you know, Joe on tweeted this involving the third man in a lot of pick-and-roll actions when maybe they shouldn't. Seth now tweeted about how often they help off the weak or strong side. It's just, especially for a team that has so many good defenders, this is something I've been hammering home. Over the course of the year, it doesn't make a ton of sense given their guys and especially with Marcus all his departure and just not being able to keep that back line intact the same way that they're used to. So these risky plays that they run on defense where they're just trying to drum up turnovers and get out and run and stuff like that it can look really good when you get like a four minute sequence where they cause four you know three four turnovers, they get out and run, they kind of feed their offense and they look. Very, very active and very complimentary to everybody on the court. But there's a lot of times where you could see Obi Top and a guy, he hit three threes in this game. He hit three threes in his first NBA game ever, maybe riding a high a little bit. Then he went over the next 49 games of his career and he hit two threes in two games, had a lot of zeros, had a few ones. And then against the Raptors, the ball gets funneled to these guys, the role players. And You know, Julius Randle was fantastic in this game. He deserves a lot of praise for his shot making, but largely what happened in this game was the Raptors consistently over-committing to one player, the ball kind of being swung around, corner pocket triples, attacking from the side, attacking closeouts constantly, getting into the middle of the lane, and the Raptors, in this game, doing a pretty good job of recovering. The Knicks sustaining very high-level shot making, and then getting to a point where sometimes the ball was getting to a really good spot, really advantageous, and then taking advantage of the Raptors. So the Raptors were much better process-wise defensively in this game, but they weren't rewarded by it really because the Knicks shot making was really fantastic. And so they forced some tough shots, but as it were, you know, Julius Randle has OG Ananobi on him, who is typically very good at suppressing shot attempts for All-Stars. And Julius Randle was just escape dribble to his right, collect, hit the three on numerous occasions, and just was outskirting OG Ananobi and wasn't afraid to put shots up over him. That's a really, really rare feat in the NBA these days. OG, usually, if he's on a guy, you know, maybe he'll get a drive by every once in a while. Guys don't usually pull up on him because his closeouts are really quite good. Like his, his footwork to get to a point where his contests are really good it's it's immaculate actually and he's so long his thighs are so powerful he can kind of jut out really quickly and so he his he shots but julius randall that dude was looking to get his today and five of seven from downtown got to the line for eight free throws man took 17 shots 31 points 10 rebounds only one assist but my goodness he was just he was scoring in the parts of the game where the Knicks were really looking for some offense, he was taking them, delivering them from the rut to the highway oftentimes. And that that was fantastic to see. And starting a lot of side top side action for the Knicks. So while he didn't directly get attributed with an assist or anything like that, he contributed to a lot of the the good looks that the Knicks had and some of the middling looks that they ended hitting ended up hitting on anyway. And a huge shout-out to RJ Barrett for attacking off the weak side and in some primary actions, getting into really great spots for himself to score. It's 25 points, 4 assists, hit some spot-up triples, got to the line a couple times, was second in plus-minus on the Knicks. They, they were doing really well with him on the court. Now is that all him? No, not really. But you don't have to be the sole provider of anything in the NBA when you're on a good team. And Tom Thibodeau has kind of wrestled, rustled, that's the term. He's kind of rustled the Knicks into a very, very good defense and their, their ability to catch up on rotations, to pre-rotate, to do a lot of the things that make a team successful in this day and age in the NBA is impressive. Tom, Thibode, Tom Thibodeau, <sighs> Jesus, Doug Dimmodome of the Dimsdale Dimodome. <laughs> anyway, Tom Thibodeau has done a very good job of adjusting to the NBA in some regards because I think a lot of people thought that he might have been quote unquote washed as a defensive coach. But I think very much it's very clear by these Knicks that he's done a very good job of instilling some hybrid and modern principles to the how he used to run his defenses. And it's caught up. These Knicks play a good brand of defense and it's not like they have a host of really, really impressive defenders to march out there, but they're disciplined. They operate within the scheme, and they've gotten more out of guys than I think most people expected. And then offensively, the standout performances from guys like Randall and Barrett, and then guys just chipping in with three-pointers like Bullock and, you know, guy like, as I said, Obi and kind of popping off as well a little bit. And then Derek Rose finding seams, hitting floaters, getting to the rim on occasion. That's, that's all been a piece of the puzzle for them this year. And, you know, when a, when you have your main two guys combining for over 50 points, everything else that pours in can be seen as like, oh, hell yeah, that's just, that's extra gravy. And Taj Gibson with pretty slick, pretty slick operator on the court, defensively and offensively. A wheel greaser, if I've ever seen one. And a guy who got himself into winning positions repeatedly in this game, just came in, plugged in, Got a few buckets. I think he had four baskets in this one. One that was a a goaltend initially, but was overturned. And then just quality rotations defensively, making sure guys feel it when they're coming towards the rim. The contest is there. The box out is there. it's, It's all there. And so that's fantastic to see. Classic Taj Gibson in a Thibodeau scheme type stuff. But the Knicks, they found their way to success, largely because of that. And the Raptors, they played their starters like... Heavy, heavy minutes. And I that I don't think that's where they lost the game. Like, they lost the game because they didn't beat the Knicks. I think that's quite obvious. But ha, what I just said about, oh, hey, when you get your two main guys combined for over 50, everything else seems like gravy. That's where the Raptors were kind of failed in this one. Siakam, 26. Fred, 27. OG, 27. That, if I can, I haven't looked this up, but that might be close to the most they've... Actually, I would wager... That's the most they've ever combined for between the three of them. Now, with Fred's 50-point game, there's also, like, there's stuff in play there, of course, because Fred and OG tonight combined for 54. So maybe, you know, this might not be the record, actually. But it's probably close. And the bench, the bench in this one, they scored 11 points. Everybody on the bench except for Malachi was a minus 20, like... Yeah, Freddie was a minus twenty four. Udo was a minus twenty two. Gary Trent Jr. number thirty three was a minus thirty three. The minutes did not go over well. The hybrid minutes were bad, and like they did not work well. They tried to survive off of some pick and roll with Kyle Lowry, but here's the thing: Lowry is not as transformative for bench units as he used to be. And while they had a modicum some success with that. It's it's tough because the Knicks play very principled defense. They're not giving the Raptors a ton of open shots. I mean, a lot of times it would take until like six seconds and under on the shot clock for the Raptors to produce and what's the term? Manufacture something that was worthwhile, a look that wasn't you know fairly well contested. And that's a long time. That's a big ask of offenses to come out and do that repeatedly. Where a lot of offenses in the NBA really like to be able to create something on the first look. They'll go into second side, but as soon as they're falling under eight seconds or so on the shot clock, they're going to be kind of bothered, and they don't want to be in that situation repeatedly. The Raptors were put in that situation quite often, and so Lowry doing a pretty good job of producing, but those other transitional units, they were tough. And that's not even like Lowry, four points, nine assists, seven boards, one of ten shooting. It's not like he was the greatest player ever. It's just that he is a more transformative player for guys like Yuta, for guys like Gary Trent Jr., for guys like Freddie Gillespie, than a lot of other players. And while Pascal Siakam has been maybe the most important creator on the Raptors this year, he doesn't suddenly make Gary Trent Jr. a knockdown shooter. And Gary Trent Jr. getting run off the line and not making those little in-between shots, same with Yuta Watanabe, just guys who have been used to their shot profiles for quite some time. The Knicks kind of broke the Raptors out of that, and the guys who thrived in that situation was OG, Fred, Pascal, and basically nobody else. Ken Burch had a pretty good game, but the Raptors, outside of those three guys, and Kyle as a playmaker, they really struggled to get into spots where they were comfortable shooting. The Knicks made the Raptors in those situations really earn their looks, and the guys who were hitting on them OG, Fred, and Pascal. And fundamentally, not a lot else going on for the Raptors. It was a tough game, although a, a fun one because watching Julius Randle and OG Ananobi duel on the one side of the floor because OG isn't like isolating guys up. OG was playing wonderful, greasy offense where he's just he's making every set the Raptors run that much easier, every action greased because he's spacing on the weak side or trailing the play. It's It's very nice. And Pascal and Freddie, I think, just did a pretty good job of operating in the space that was provided, and it, all the all the attributes that you've come to know and love about those two, like the the grab and go from Siakam, where he gets out in transition, and Fred goes to he doesn't go below the break. He rarely ever spaces to the corner in transition. He goes to the wing, like the forty five extended, hits the three from there. Those guys they connect on that play all the time. OG is usually sprinting to the rim or the corner. Fred likes above the break. That's really smart of the team to do because I get Fred can shoot the corner three. That's fine. But other players who can't shoot the above the break three as well as he does, they occupy the corner. He goes above the break. It's just smart team building. Well, it's just smart in the way that you format the offense. So that was nice to see. And that stuff is just part and parcel of the Siakam and Fred Van Vliet experience. Fred you know, a Hound defensively, Siakam. Like I'm saying, the Raptors played a very good defensive game. They just were failed by the Knicks being an excellent shot-making team in this one. Like Julius Randle, he's usually getting to the bucket proficiently and bullying guys. I think Blake referred to him as trying to guard like a compact car. That seems apt. He's really tough to keep from getting downhill. And when he's getting downhill... You know, anybody who watches Raptors knows that when O.G. Ananobi puts his shoulder into somebody, you feel that. That's a meaningful amount of pressure you're going to feel. Kinetic energy is flowing through you from them. And Julius Randall provides, I think, a similar punch. And he didn't even get downhill that often. He was just, the jump shot was going. And he's like 6'10". He has a high release. It's not super quick. But if he wants to shoot a jumper, that will, sorry for the screech, there's a truck outside but if he wants to shoot a jumper he can do so so that's all fine and dandy but the raptors a pretty good process game aside from the bench offense i will say and you know what that's just a tough one for those guys because the knicks played a really good defensive scheme in this one to make those guys repeatedly uncomfortable and you would like to see them adapt and adjust and find ways to contribute at a high level still that really wasn't in the cards for this game and the raptors at the end of it all lose by 17 in what I thought was a really fun game. I don't have many complaints except that, like, Gary Trent Jr., for everybody saying, and I said this afterwards, and I said this before, for all the people saying, like, there's there's stardom waiting for him. You you have to tone it down because he is not a positive defender at this point, and, like, yes, the Raptors team who shoots a bunch of threes, he slides in very comfortably, and he's going to shoot threes, But he's also like part and parcel of the Gary Trent Jr. experience is these games where it's like four points. Where he's not shooting incredibly well from the field because he's not going to go 17 of 19 every game. He's a shooter who isn't one of the best shooters in the world. He isn't like Steph Curry who's going to come in and burn everything down all the time. He'll have his ups and downs. Like Wesley Matthews is a really, really good place for Gary Trent Jr. to end up. And I know like their point totals might be similar now where Wesley Matthews was scoring around like 16 a game in some of his best years. But Gary Trent Jr., if he got to anywhere close to that defensively and the dependability from the three-point line, that would be good. So, and he's only 22. So there's tons of time and room for him to grow a lot offensively. But if you're looking for a bigger breakdown into like the biomechanics of what he's doing and kind of his shot profile and what that lends itself to, Uh, you can just type in like Samson Folk, Gary Trent Jr. Hopefully my piece pops up and you can kind of, you know, read that, see what you think, if that's insightful, good. But yeah, that's, Gary Trent is going to have some down games. He's getting used to a new role after getting used to a new role. He's coming off the bench now. He's not a starter. He's gotten his possessions cut down a bit. So times are changing for him. He has to adjust once again. So that's why I think like next year is going to be really big for him just to see what's happening. And so... We'll see what happens with restricted free agency and all that. But yeah, Gary Trent doing his thing. Reggie Evans Award, I'm giving to Kyle Lowry. Man, the dude hustles. It's crazy to think that setting your feet for a charge counts as interior defense, but he's almost like crafted and revolutionized the way that people defend in a little bit. Like for little guys, he has taken the charge and made it such a weapon Especially for guys who are charging into the lane, like if you think Julius Randle didn't know if he has his eyes on like the weak side corner and not the second level of defense that's rotating in, if he's looking for the pass to make, he knows that if he gets too complacent, Kyle Lowry will plant himself immediately beneath him and he'll catch a charge, and he doesn't want that, and so there's a little bit more hesitancy, and uh, he just he won't go into the paint with the same reckless abandon because Kyle represents something meaningful as a help side defender at sub six feet. Top quick reaction comment is from Niagara underscore dude. This is two in a row, I think. I'm not sure if anybody's ever done it twice in a row. I'm sure it has. It's been a lot of games, forgive me. But okay, quote, give the Knicks credit. They played great team basketball and defended. Also, their top option is great. Randall made his shots and plays all afternoon. The fact is we cannot beat good quality teams unless we defend and play team basketball. Our two top options, Yakim and Fred, are good, but they are not skilled enough to take over games on their own by playing hero ball. If there are two things that must be changed next season is no more dual point guard starting backcourt and get back to team basketball, end quote. Yeah, I think I fundamentally disagree with the dual point guard thing. I don't know why people have a problem with that. It's like if... <laughs> they won a championship doing so. if. And they're good players. You want to play good players. The problem is that the Raptors, the bench was horrific. Like Gary Trent Jr. was a minus 33. Now, plus minus isn't everything. But when the bench is collectively grouped together, then you're looking at a team that, yes, you're being failed by your bench. And I don't think that's something that dual starting point guards fixes or banishes to a really bad place or anything like that but malachi flynn didn't get a lot of run in this game they could run another dual point guard lineup with one of lowry with one of van vliet sharing the floor with malachi flynn i think they just have to space it out a little bit better but i don't think there's an inherent problem with starting van vliet or kyle lowry what or both of them together i mean i just you play your best players and that's typically what good teams do there's like a lot of teams that win six man of the year. They usually don't win the championship. It's like a fluff position. It's just like, oh, hey, you're a good player. You can put up volume stats. Like, go put up volume stats. We have the space on the team for you. But those teams don't usually win. That's not common. It's it's not like there's supposed to be like this carved out position for really great players on the bench. I think we just have this idea of like, oh, yeah, that's where you put them. But teams with like incredible six men, it's it's about having the best lineup and playing that lineup a bunch of minutes. And Van Vliet and Lowry have shown that they exist together in a very successful realm. So I don't I don't think that's a problem. If Lowry ages out, then I don't think Flynn and Van Vleet is like the future to play those guys together all the time. But if it's Kyle and Van Vleet, I don't I don't think that's like a problem. If Kyle comes back, this is a long winded answer, but. I'm glad you enjoyed the Knicks too. I thought they played great, and there was a lot of incredible shot making. As for like not skilled enough with Fred and Siakam, I mean, you know, they they put up great numbers. They killed it today. They they both played really good games, and I think showcased a lot of skill. So, and Randall was seen as a guy who had who's very low on skill and just was kind of a bruiser who completely smashed the left side of the backboard with, you know, endless bank shots and runners. And now he's seen as, you know, skilled enough for you just because he took an extra year. So I guess we'll see. But I think Siakam and Fred are plenty skilled. But anyway, Niagara Dude, thanks for writing in. Uh, Listener, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. But whether you got into it in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye.